Welcome to Malkia Sunrise. My name is Wanjiru and I'll be your tour guide through these bright lands. And in each episode, we seek to deconstruct gender norms and hunt for the African story. This is my third attempt at recording this episode. I guess that time's the charm. Hopefully I get to the end of it this time, um, but it's a heavy topic for anyone I think to address. But I think it's important for us to speak about it and for me to say something about it. Close to 4,000 schoolgirls have been impregnated since the COVID-19 lockdown happened. A 16-year-old Kenyan girl was held captive and sexually assaulted. She was only rescued by her neighbors. And the man said he kidnapped her because he needed female company, 16 years old. Reports say that if the lockdown were to continue, and this were estimates in at the beginning of May, 31 million gender violence cases were expected over a period of six months. This is across the world. Liberia, Nigeria, Kenya, Cote d'Ivoire, Uganda, China, France, Spain, Canada, UK, just a few of the countries that have been reporting an increase in violence against women and girls. And what is the history? It's a question I ask myself, like, what efforts have been put globally, locally? What's the progress? Why aren't we dealing with this silent pandemic? You know, what would get us to the end of this pandemic? And I don't think that's a question that can be answered by an individual or even of an episode. But here's some of the things that I found as I was doing my research for this episode. So in most cultures, they have proverbs that encourage domestic violence. For example, in India, they say, the nails of a cat and the head of a woman, they work only when they are hit hard. While in Russia, they say, for the man who beats his wife, God improves his food. And in Europe, they say, this is England, a woman, a dog, and a walnut tree, the harder you beat them, the better they be. In Zambia, they say, beat your wife often. If you don't know why, she will. In Korea, they say, affection begins at the end of a road. And on and on it goes, encouraging domestic violence. Now, here's something interesting. Not a single region, not a single country, not a single culture has managed to eliminate domestic violence. Have a sit with that. 
not a single region, not a single country, not a single culture has eliminated domestic violence. And yet, it's not at the forefront of issues that we need to tackle globally. It comes up as a headline today. We talk about it. We get enraged online. We march. Yet, here we are. We should be ashamed of ourselves. That not a single country has managed to eliminate domestic violence. And just from looking at what those all those proverbs said, and most of these proverbs were there before laws were created in most countries. And so what happens? When legal guidelines are being done, initially, in the early centuries, in the early, in the 13th and the 15th, all the way through 18th, early 19th century, the legal guidelines allowed a husband to beat, not to beat, to discipline his wife. And this is where the rule of thumb saying came from. That a husband could discipline his wife, his daughter, as long as the instrument of correction was only as thick as his thumb, rule of thumb. And can I tell you something else interesting? It's not until 1979, when there's a convention on the elimination of all forms of discrimination against women. And violence comes in here, but domestic violence is not mentioned in specific. It just, I mean, for most part, most people assumed domestic violence were family issues and the state does not interfere with family issues. And then you have the Bible that in Ecclesiastes says, from a woman was the beginning of sin and because of her, we all died. And that was interpreted by most men um, and most churches that God's punishment to Eve and by extension to all women, they were required to obey their husbands and that the husbands could use moderate correction as is necessary. Then you have Science coming up in the 13th century. And you have a bishop of Austria proclaiming that women are always ready for sex. They need no preparation for it, justifying rape. You have Aristotle regarding women as cold and this is important because as late as the 1950s and 1960s, part of this, and if you think about it, the number of times um, women's anger is, women anger is not justified. You know, it, we, 
we're not meant to be angry or passionate or loud because we were, we are regarded as cold. The impact of language, the impact of learning, what is what what is education saying? And yes, studies came after that that proved that you know this 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 had nothing to do with how men and women behaved, but years and years and years and years of hearing that women are regarded as cold. Think about all the times you've been passionate about something and you've been regarded by a different term as angry as um, as as being a pushover. And it's looked down because a woman is expected to be docile and cold and not passionate. And as late as the 1950s and 60s, it was assumed that, you know, saying it was difficult to determine whether a woman was actually saying no because she was, you know, she was always ready for it. She really wanted it. And, and, and in most cases, a mere expression of a no was seen as a reason to be persistent. And we still see this as being true. And this is a difficult episode, but anyway. Um, and then let's look at Africa. Now, there's not much written about Africa, about how we managed um, domestic violence, about different cultures. Um, we do know, yes, there are cultures that like I've read, some of the proverbs I've said, they are cultures that did advocate for discipline of wives. However, in most societies, we did have largely women being equal to, to men. And, and especially because, you know, they, they had significant value in producing and processing food. Um, they were ensuring food security, they were engaged in, 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 in domestic decision-making, in political decision-making, in the cultures. They, they were religious leaders in some, in some spheres. And so for most part, they were, they were regarded as equal. And in most cultures, rape was um, carried a very, very serious punishment in some cultures um even in kenya uh, some cultures in the coast if it was proven that a man had raped a woman then the man got castrated um in in turkana if a man was accused and found guilty of raping a woman the family was allowed to beat the man um, and he also had to pay a fine so you do have cultures across Africa that do have remedial actions towards men who are found to be guilty of violence against, against women. Now, this, this is something I found quite interesting. The origin of the word family comes from Latin, a Latin word, famulus which means domestic slave, and which is what 
colonial Christianity brought to Africa, the concept that women must stay home, stay in private, stay quiet, leave the work to the men, the idea that um, women cannot be engaged in political and social economic systems, which was unlike what we knew in pre-colonial times. And what are some of the definitions of violence? And, and I just want to say in the Kenyan context, for a long time, we did not have an act that guided on violence against women. We referred to the penal code, which was very general, um, did not pinpoint exact measures or exact def definitions ag about violence. But in 2015, um, the president, the current president, Kenyatta, signed into signed the Protection Against Domestic Violence Act. And under this act, these are the definitions of domestic violence or violence against women. Child marriage, FGM, female genital mutilation, forced marriage, forced wife inheritance, sexual violence within marriage, virginity testing, widow cleansing, damage to property, defilement, denying of your spouse access to facilities or residence. So if your husband, your spouse, your partner is denying you access to your residence, Economic abuse, which includes household necessities, medical expenses, school fees. If you're denied the right to seek employment or engage in an income generating activity, I think this is important. That you do have a right to seek employment. You do have a right to start your business. You do have a right to get that job and earn your own income. Emotional and psychological abuse. Um, including verbal abuse, forcible entry into your residence, harassment, incest, intimidation, physical and sexual abuse, stalking, and any other conduct that may cause harm to your safety, to your health, and to your well-being is considered violence against whichever party, whether it's a man or a woman. And at the end of the, this episode, I'm going to include some links to hospitals, to um, organizations that can support you during this time. If you are facing some form of violence, if you know someone, a loved one, a friend, um, a neighbor who is facing some form of violence, I will include some details for them to, to reach out and get help. But what are some of the reasons and causes that are given um, to, as, as justification? And there's nothing that can justify violence against another human being. But most times it's norms social norms. It's men being allowed to speak before women. It's it's simple things. It's walking into, it's 
from an office perspective, it's being it's being the only woman in the office and being expected to serve the men in the office. It's being um, girls in the home in a family of both men and women and the girls are expected to take on most of the household chores. It's acceptance of violence as a way of resolving conflict. It's a notion that because you're a man, you have to assert your dominance and a show of strength that everyone needs to be subservient, subservient to you. It's poverty being used as a justification for violence. Unemployment. And instead of dealing with the issues that come about from that, taking it out on the other person, on your spouse. It's violence being used to solve marital conflict. It's men seeking to control wealth and decision-making in the family. It's a history of violence. Children who witness marital violence normally end up as perpetrators of violence as well. It's young children who've been abused and haven't gotten help and turn into abusers. It's substance abuse. It's conflict and violence where women are used as a weapon of war, as a tool for them to achieve some military domination. The number of times we've had in cases of war, in cases of conflict, civil conflict, women suffering. And then the same people who are fighting these wars, these conflicts, are the same people who then get appointed into the institutions and legal systems. It's lack of proper training for our police force. It's the fact that the same men who outside want to assert their masculinity are the doctors in hospital who will ask us, this is such a small issue. Why don't you solve it at home? It's the local authorities who will agree to payment from rapists, from abusers, and allow the victim and the survivors to keep interacting and seeing their abusers every other day. It's the families that define it as shame. And instead of thinking about the victim, the survivor, think about their own idea of chastity, of shame, and leave the burden on the abused. And when I looked at it, the statistics say one in three women have faced some form of violence in their life. But by the definition that I've given earlier, a few minutes ago, I would say 
every single woman in the world has faced some form of abuse. And we must speak about it. We must be loud about it. We must be passionate about it. Our voices must be heard. It's time that we stopped talking about policies. We stopped talking about waiting for the governments. And we shared the real stories. Because even when the newspapers are displaying our stories, they're writing our stories. It's a man who's writing his version of the truth. When we're in courts, it's about the burden of proof is on the abuser. He has to prove his innocence while we leave the victim dealing, sitting there feeling shamed. We must talk about it. We have to talk about it. We have to tell our stories. Our voices must be heard. We have to change the narrative. It starts with me. It starts with you. Anytime a woman comes out, two years, 10 years, it doesn't matter how many years have passed. We need to listen to her. We need to support this woman. We need to make sure around the world that governments are giving funding towards this cause. We keep talking about sustainable goals, sustainable development goals. I haven't seen anywhere where we're talking about additional funding towards domestic violence, towards gender violence. It's more than inclusion. It's conversations with everyone, with the judges and magistrates who hear these cases, with the policemen who receive these cases, with the hospitals that process these cases. We need to change our language. When we speak about 4,000 teenage girls pregnant, and we call them young women. Where are we maturing them? Let's talk about 4,000 teenage girls being pregnant because they were raped. The age of consent is to be very clear. A 16 year old does not understand. Our language has to change. Our reporting has to change. Our stories must be told. I'm going to stop there for today's episode. Like I said, I'm going to include a few resources for anyone who 
is going through some form of violence, who knows someone who's going through some form of violence, I'll include a few resources available in Kenya. If you're listening from other parts of the world and would like some resources as well, please share with us where you're listening in from. And I will look for what resources are in your country and share them. And we'll pick this up. I think this is a conversation we need to have over a few episodes. But until next time, goodbye.